series on Matthew, and uh, I don't know how long it'll take, but um, we finished up Philippians and Ephesians, and now we're going through the book of Matthew, and we finished up the Beatitudes. And uh, what the Beatitudes did was they showed us what we look like when we're operating in the kingdom. We're poor in spirit, we're pure in heart, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're meek, we're merciful. Um, And so this gives us an idea when you are operating in the fullness of the kingdom, that's what it's going to look like. And then we talked about when that happens, right after that, you will be salt and light. You'll be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we do that by operating in those beatitudes. So now Jesus gets to a part uh, of this Sermon on the Mount where he wants to make some clarifications. Because if you can imagine, Jesus is preaching and teaching like no one else before. He didn't preach and teach like the Pharisees did, or like the scribes. They said he, he, he taught with authority. And so you can imagine at that time, there were people going, what, what, what's this all about? What, is this guy like, is he saying that the, the old law isn't any good anymore? Why did Jesus come? Why is he here? What's he trying to do? You can go to the next slide. Sorry about that. <laughs> Look at Larry all the whole time, you know. Um, why did Jesus come? And so we ask ourselves during this Christmas season, wh- wh- what's it all about? Last week we talked about putting the Christ, Christ back in Christmas and how it's not up to the job of the, of the companies to put Christmas on their catalog. If they want to put happy holidays, fine. We're supposed to be the Christ in Christmas. How Christ transforms our lives. That's supposed to shine the light of Jesus to, uh, to a fallen world. It's us. And so when we think about uh, Christmas, I don't know what your expectations are. I, I, you know, in a group this size, there's probably some of you that fully expect your mother-in-law to show up at your house and criticize your meal, right? There's, some of you have a, a father-in-law that just drives you nuts. It's just the expectation. Uncle Harry's going to get drunk on spiked eggnog we just know it it happens every single year expectations but no matter what your expectations are it the fact remains christmas is about jesus why did he come here why did jesus come as a as a pastor uh people have expectations about christmas is this christmas service and i was at starbucks the other day I don't know what I was doing there, but uh, <laughs> I just happened to be stopping by. And, uh, and so the guy behind the counter is like, oh, big Sunday's coming up, huh? You know, I said, yeah, it's Christmas is kind of like the Super Bowl for pastors, you know, the, the big game or whatever. And I started thinking, you know, I can't meet everybody's expectation for Christmas as a pastor. I can't, I can't do it. All I can do is just preach the word of God. We all have expectations of what it's going to be like. And I'll bet Mary had some expectations. What, what was this prophecy? What was this thing I got from the angel? What did it look like? Well, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to talk about why Jesus came from Jesus' own words. It just so happens that this is the section of Scripture that happened to fall on, on, on Christmas. So go ahead. It's five, uh, Matthew 5. And we're going to read verses 17 through 20. It's kind of a longer section of Scripture, but we're, we're going to put it into three different parts here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, 
will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the the kingdom of heaven. Man, that's some tough. Merry Christmas, by the way. That's that's. uh, Why did Jesus come? Luke chapter two, verse 10 says this. When the angel appeared to the shepherds, it says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That's why Jesus came right there. What we're going to do this morning is go uh, over what Jesus talks about of why he came. And we're going to match it up with our mission statement. If you have a bulletin, um, on the back of each one of our bulletins is our uh, mission statement. And it's on the back here and it says, uh, Our mission with God's grace and direction, Living Spring will reach our neighborhood and surrounding communities with the love of the Father, restore lives to healthy relationship in the Son, and respond to the move of the Spirit. Now, if you're paying attention, I've just given you the three things you can fill out on your outline. So you've do, you're done. You guys can go home if you want. You're, you, get, you filled out your outline. But that's it. Reach, restore, and respond. That's the mission that God has given uh, to Living Spring. To reach our neighborhood and surrounding communities with the love of the Father. To restore lives to healthy relationship in the Son. And to respond to a move of the Spirit. So I want to look at this in light of what Jesus is saying here. The first thing Jesus says... Uh, it, we, we have reach, and that's to repair our relationship with God. Reach to repair our relationship with God. The first thing Jesus says is, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to ab- abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now imagine what Jesus is doing here. He's on the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching a sermon, and he's trying to let them know, listen, I'm not trying to change what the law said. I'm trying to fulfill it. It's a fantastic statement. Did you know that all of our history, from the time Adam sinned all the way to when Jesus was uh, speaking, was preparing for Christ to return? Everything you read in the Old Testament. And you think, man, that doesn't, I don't even remember hearing Jesus' name during the Old Testament. It's so beautiful. And looking back, now that Jesus has come and he's died and he's risen, to look back and see all the ways Jesus has fulfilled Scripture. I don't want to go through all of them, but I did want to kind of talk about all the different references of Jesus in some of these Old Testament books. Um, uh, uh, there's, there's several for each book, but I just wanted to quickly go over some of them. In Genesis, he's called the seed of the woman. When, when God was talking to Eve, he said that um, the seed of the woman will crush Satan's head. He's called the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the trusted prophet. It goes on and on and on. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the wall. In Psalms, he's our Lord and shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's true wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he's the true lover of the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. The entire Old Testament is about God and his relationship with man. The entire Old Testament. 
God has relationship with man. Man blows it. There's a consequence. Man repents. God has relationship with man. Man blows it. There's a consequence. Man repents. Bop, 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 bop. All again. The point is God desperately wants to have a relationship with you and with me. It's the theme of the whole Old Testament. You're like, well, even when they went in and like took over a city? Absolutely, yes. And the theme of Jesus goes in every single one of the books and not only just in the books. See, it wasn't just the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, although there were many, many, many prophecies. You see this thread, this theme of redemption, this theme of relationship with God and people. And Jesus fulfilled it when he came here. That's why Jesus came. He says, I didn't come to abolish that. I didn't come to say those were a bunch of old stories. I came to fulfill that. I came to break that cycle of, oh man, relationship, we blew it. I came to show you something different that fulfills that. And it wasn't just in those books. It was in a lot of the themes that are in Scripture, like the theme of the high priest, a perfect picture of Jesus, right? We see, we see the Old Testament version and see how Jesus fulfilled that perfectly in the New Testament. The high priest, Aaron, he was in an earthly tabernacle. Jesus was in a heavenly tabern- uh, temple. Aaron would come once a year. Jesus came once for all. Aaron would go, he was the only one allowed behind the veil. Jesus ripped the veil in two and said, now we can have relationship uh, with God without that. Aaron offered many sacrifices. Jesus just offered one. Aaron would offer sacrifices for his own sin. Jesus knew no sin. Aaron would offer the blood of bulls. Jesus offered his own blood. Jesus was the high priest. That theme, when you look at the priest, is Jesus. He fulfilled it. You look at the tabernacle. All the different pieces of the tabernacle all point to Jesus. When you'd have the tabernacle, there was one door you could enter the tabernacle. If you tried to sneak in under the tent, you were to be killed. Boy, that's, man, that's really harsh. Why would God do that? Because he's trying to say there's one door. One door to the tabernacle. Jesus said, I am the door. It had a brazen altar. Jesus said he was the altar. It had a bowl for cleansing. Jesus said he'd wash and cleanse us. It had lamps for light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. It had bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. It had a veil. Jesus said, the veil is my body. It had a mercy seat. Jesus said, I am the mercy seat. It's not just the prophecies. It's not just all, every book of the Old Testament, but it's the imagery in the Old Testament as well. The Levitical offerings. You'd have a burnt offering for perfection of life. Jesus lived the perfect life. You'd have a meal offering that spoke of dedication. Jesus was fully devoted to the Father. He never did anything or said anything that his heavenly Father didn't tell him to do or say. The peace offering. Jesus is our peace. It just goes on and on and on. You can go through the feasts, each one of the feasts, and see how Jesus fulfilled the feasts. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus came to say, God wants to have relationship with man, and I'm the one who's going to fulfill that perfectly for all time. Think about that. That's amazing. When you, open your, when you open your Bible, that's why I'm so excited about this discovery class because we can go through from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament and go, man, Jesus is all through that. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39, he said, you diligently search the scriptures because you think in them you possess eternal life, but 
the, uh, these are the scriptures that testify about me. He says, you, can, you think in the scriptures, he's talking to the Pharisees and scribes, you think in them you're going to have eternal life? They're supposed to be pointing to me. I fulfill all this. In Luke uh, 24, 27, uh, this is just a fantastic thing. It's, I don't have a slide up there for it, but um, Jesus is talking to the disciples at the end of his ministry. And it says he began to go through and show them from the Moses to the prophets all the ways the scriptures point to him. It says, and, uh, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Would that not be awesome? You're sitting with Jesus and he's like, hey, remember when we went up on that mountain? That's right here. That's what this one, that's when we fulfilled that one together right there. Wow, really? Yeah, you're right. That makes sense. Jesus is beginning to share with his disciples. These are all the ways that my life is fulfilling the Old Testament. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He came to say, God wants a relationship with man. And now there's this way. I fulfill everything, all the requirements, everything you need, I fulfill it. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, it says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Why did Jesus come? He came to continue on this theme that God wants to have a relationship with you. The entire Old Testament speaks of it. And he came and he fulfilled it. He didn't just get rid of the Old Testament and say, oh, now there's just a New Testament. It's a new and improved (laughs) relationship with God. It's always been by faith. It's always been impossible for us and God's always provided a way for us to do it. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, they're talking about Jesus. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He came to fulfill that law. God and man, they're separated. God always provides a way for relationship. And now Jesus has come to completely fulfill that, that role. He came to fulfill the scriptures. The last one we'll look at under this uh, section is Colossians 2.14. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. What an awesome piece of imagery there. Jesus says, look, this is, this is what God requires. And he goes up and they nail him to the cross and he says, it's finished. I fulfilled it. And you go, well, man, do, do I need to even look at the Old Testament then. I mean, if it's fulfilled, that doesn't mean it's useless. We just read it in a different way. We read it as it points to Jesus. We view it through that lens of Christ. And that gets me to my second point here. The second part of our, thi- of our mission statement is to restore. See, Jesus came and he provided this idea of reaching the lost for God, reaching people who were separated from God to provide a way to have a relationship with God. That's why that's our first and uh, uh, part of our mission statement, to reach. Now it's our responsibility to explain to people the, the way it is to have a relationship with God. The second thing is to restore, to reveal our intended life with God. See, once we have this relationship with God, God begins this restoration process called sanctification. 
We call it restoration. And Kai had a beautiful sermon uh, that you can download off of the podcast. It was awesome on this restoration process. Getting something to look and act like it was intended. Get it back into that state. And that's the beginning of this process. And if you look at verse 19, so God, Jesus comes and he fulfills the law. And then he says this, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is beginning to say, listen, not only did I fulfill the law, but as you begin to apply this to your life and through the Holy Spirit, we've added the New Testament to this as well. As you begin to apply that to your life, you are going to have a great impact in the kingdom. This doesn't mean you've got great in the kingdom of heaven and least in the kingdom of heaven and you kind of like, you got like a badge or some type of uniform. Whoa, he's, you know, like, a, like on the military. You know, he's a five-star great in the kingdom of heaven and he's just a little private, you know. It's not about that. It's about what kind of impact are we having for the kingdom of God? And what Jesus is saying is, as you apply these truths, you become, you do great damage for the kingdom. Remember, for weeks we've been talking about the kingdom of God is up here and the kingdom of the world is down here. And when we operate down here, we're actually on the enemy side launching grenades into the kingdom of God. But as we act up here, we are doing damage to the kingdom of the world. And so Jesus says, anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so has a very small impact for the kingdom. But if you apply the word to your life, if you uh, uh, begin this restoration process of getting rid of the, the old stuff and having the new stuff, then you begin to make a great impact for the kingdom. I don't know if I put Hebrews 10, 8 up there. Did I? Yeah, I did. This is talking about Jesus. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. You know, even though God set up this structure of the sacrifice, he said to obey is better than sacrifice. I'd rather you not have to do any of the sacrifices. I'd rather you just do what you're supposed to be doing. That's what Jesus is saying here. Do the commandments and teach others to do them. That's the better way. And he goes on, he says, then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. In other words, Jesus is saying, you didn't have to do any sacrifices for my life. I lived the perfect life. I did everything according to the scripture. He was without sin. I am so glad we don't have the sacrificial system anymore. Aren't you guys glad? I got, when I was growing up, uh, I grew up in a very diverse area of Pasadena, and I had friends from like every single culture. Uh, I had Filipino friends, Armenian, Jordanian, uh, African American, Hispanic. There's the whole gamut. I could cuss in like four different languages you know, as a little kid. Because, you know, those are the first words you learn when you're trying to learn words so that you can say something to your parents and then they don't know, right? They know. Just so you youth, they know, okay? They'll smack you just for saying something they don't understand because they assume you're saying something. <laughs> At least my dad did. But um, so we had this friend. I had these two friends, Abraham and Jared, and they were Jordanian, and they had this goat. And it was a, it was a really cool goat. We'll, we'll call the goat Fluffy just for the sake of the story. Uh, 
And so I'd go over to their house, and we, we'd play with the goat, and it was, you know, it was cute and everything. And it, they really do eat, like, almost anything. You, like, you could say the goat ate my homework. It actually would, uh, would be the truth. Well, one day, I said, hey, how come the goat's not in its pen? Oh, oh yeah, well, my, dad, my dad's going to slaughter the goat tonight in this, like, celebration. I'm like, celebration? I mean, how does, like, killing your pet be it well i've had some pets that actually it was a celebration but (laughs) but uh so so what i did was because i just couldn't handle them killing fluffy i mean that's wrong so in the afternoon i snuck over and i yeah and i i undid fluffy's little rope and started shooing fluffy down down their down their driveway right which was right into the street. So, I mean, <laughs> I hadn't really thought the whole thing through, you know. And so, uh, uh, and so all of a sudden, his dad came, Abraham's dad came that uh, didn't speak any English. Um, and he starts yelling at me, uh, you know, blah, 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 you know, going on. I, I, I could pick out about four words, and those were the, those were the bad words. And so I start riding my bike, shooing the goat, like making fun of him. Blah, 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 you know. You're not going to kill Fluffy, right? And I, I, I sent Fluffy out, and, uh, and, and they got Fluffy later and killed him. And then um, hung, hung Fluffy up. Uh, like, no, no, this was, he was making a statement to me, like, you're next. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I just never went to their house anymore. But you get attached to this animal, and then... It gets killed. It used to be that that was the atonement for our sin. The idea is that you see constantly the consequence of your actions. There's a constantly, there's some fluffy or whatever the cow's name was or whatever that has to give its life for our sin over and over and over and over and over again. And what Christ did when he fulfilled the law and he began this restoration process is he says, that part's done, that ceremonial law. The other thing he accomplished was the judicial law. That's why we don't, Israel doesn't, God doesn't deal with Israel the same as he used to. But the moral law stays intact. So we don't have sacrifices anymore to remind us over and over again that when we, uh, that our sin has serious consequences. But God has put another thing in place, Christ Jesus, who died once for us, but then gives us this relationship that the Holy Spirit that would constantly remind us, no, 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 that's not the way it should go. I've never been interested in sacrifices. I've only been interested in you obeying to do the scriptures. If you look at uh, Matthew um, Twenty-four, thirty-five. because what happens is if you could say, oh, well, then the, I'll follow the Old Testament. That's what Jesus is saying. But he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The words of Jesus are scripture as well. And then through divine uh, sovereignty, the Lord has given us the New Testament as well. He's preserved that. This is now our scriptures, the Old and New Testament. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. 
This is part of that restoration process of knowing the word. Jesus says, not only do you do them, but you teach others. You begin to get this knowledge of the scripture and going, you know what? That's what I want to model my life after. That's why Jesus came. He came to fulfill the scriptures to say, we, we continue to have this relationship with God. And then he modeled what that relationship looks like. And that's part of that. When we say we, we restore in healthy relationship in the sun here in Le- Living Spring, we're talking about modeling a life of Jesus. That's why I love the video we showed about Christmas. It's just that we're, we would be a giving church focused on what God would have us do. Second, uh, I mean, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, take the scriptures, the word of God, and just let it sit and be rich so that it totally transforms your life. When as Kai was talking about the restore, and, and if you guys don't have it, I seriously would, re- you should listen to it. It's, it's fantastic. But how he was talking, you have to break it down first a lot of times. I, I, I've been over to Kai's house, and he's got this car in his uh, garage, and they, it's like ripped down to nothing. It just makes me want to throw up every time I look at it. When I think of like all the work that needs to go into it, it just stresses me out. And Kai was telling me the other day, he said, no, you don't want your kids to all of a sudden be 18 years old. You want to spend that time with them, watching them grow and putting them along. That's the restoration process. That's letting the word of God richly dwell in us. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitudes in your heart, uh, gra- uh, gratitude in your hearts to God. First Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So Jesus comes not only to fulfill the law, to say, look, this is now the way we ha- you have relationship with God. All those uh, sacrifices, all those things, now it just channels right through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father but through me, is what Jesus said. He fulfills the law. But then he also says, now let's start this restoration process. It's another reason why he came, to demonstrate what a life with God looks like. In Hebrews, it says Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. As Christians, we should be overflowing with the joy of God. Because what do we have? What, do- what else do we need? But Jesus, right? And so there's this part of this restoration process that as we begin to go through a life with Christ, we become more joyful. As you look at the uh, Advent candles, and again, we'll talk about this on Christmas Eve, but the, the, the hope, peace, joy, and love, those are things that should be totally overflowing in our lives as we, as we practice what's in the scriptures and teach others to do so. Jesus modeled that. That's why he came. Thirdly, respond, respond. So we have this relationship with God and we're growing in it. And now what? Do we just sit around? Jesus makes an unbelievable statement here. He says, For I, will, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Man, for those people then, I mean, you talk about the scribes and the Pharisees. They were like it. They were, that was righteousness. And I'm supposed to do better than they did? 
the scribes would write out the, 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 uh, the Old Testament by hand. They knew large portions of it. Some of them knew almost the entire Old Testament by memory. That's unbelievable. And they'd, they'd go over the real fine points of the law. I have to be more righteous than that? I have to know more scripture than that? The Pharisees, where that word Pharisee comes from to, to separate they, were, they didn't want to have anything to do with anybody with any sin. They were, they were separate. They'd go into the marketplace, and then they had these washings they'd do just in case their robe or anything got, in touch, got touched somebody. How can I be more righteous than them? A passage from the scribal law, they started coming up with all their own laws, which I never understood. I mean, I don't need any more, like, I don't need any more than the word of God, because I don't even do this well. And like, why would I add more stuff on? But they would do that. They would direct themselves away from the law and start to focus on these little things that you could see because the Lord judges the heart. You can't see the heart. So they would come up with these things. So it says, don't work on the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, so they'd go through. Well, what does work mean? What is, well, if you write, is that work? So they came up with rules. So here's one of the rules that comes from the scribal law. He who writes two letters of the alphabet with his right or with his left hand, whether of one kind or of two kinds, if they are written with different inks or in different languages, he's guilty. So two letters of the alphabet. So today's Sunday. We'll call this our Sabbath. If you go home to write a thank you letter, when you get to duh for dear, you're guilty. Okay. D-E, guilty. It goes on. Even if he should write two letters from forget from forgetfulness, like, dear John, I, oh, you're guilty. Even if you, I forgot. No, too bad. You're guilty. Whether he has written them in ink or with paint, red chalk or anything that makes a permanent mark. Also, he that writes on two walls that form an angle. So if you're going to write one letter on one wall and another letter and they're touching each other, they form an angle. It says, uh, or on two tablets of his account book so that they can be read together, he's guilty. But, here's the the loophole, if anyone writes with dark fluid or fruit juice or on the dust of the ground or in the sand or in anything that doesn't make a permanent mark, he's not guilty. So you could write all day in the sand. So if you want to write a love note, just take your wife to the beach. You know, I love you, okay? It goes on. If he writes one letter on the ground and one on the wall of his house or on two pages of a book so that they can't be read together, he's not guilty. <laughs> I'm supposed to be more righteous than that guy? I can't do that. That's impossible. And then I don't enter the kingdom of heaven because I forgot that I, w- I was like, why you'd write on your wall? I don't know, but I was writing on my wall and then I wrote on the wall next to it. And oh man, you can read them together. Oh no. Well, we know that's not what Jesus is talking about. Praise God, it's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 18 about these two men who go to pray. One man's a tax collector. And the tax collector goes, he can't even look up to heaven. Remember we talked about being poor in spirit? is actually to be a beggar in, in spirit. You don't even look up, you just hold your hand out. That's what he was doing. That's what this tax collector was doing. He was beating his chest. And he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's poor in spirit. Remember the Beatitudes? That's the first way we come to God, poor in spirit. I got nothing. 
I'm poor. Not only do I have nothing, I can't do anything to get anything. I'm just poor. And then the Pharisee shows up. And the Pharisee starts rattling off all the things he does. Oh, I fast. You know, I, he says, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. Right then, he just indicted himself. Because essentially what he's saying is, oh, I thank you that I'm not poor in spirit. <laughs> right? I tithe. I give 10% of all I have. I, I fast twice a week. I do all these things. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that tax collector went home justified. His righteousness surpassed that of the Pharisee. How? Because he went broken. See, this is the third reason why Christ came. He came so that there would be a way for us in the state, the sad, sorry state we are, we can go before him and say, I got nothing. And that's the righteousness Christ is looking for. It's always been that way. Jesus says to um, uh, the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7. Now look at what Jesus does. He, he ties in the Old Testament. Remember, he fulfilled the Old Testament. And in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Isaiah was prophesizing about those people right then. Man, that's, that's brutal. I started thinking this week, I wonder if there's any prophecies about me in here that's scary, you know, that Jesus is going, oh, this is exactly what, yeah. The whole Old Testament's filled with them about, yeah, watch out, this guy was prideful, you're being prideful, you better knock it off, right? He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. It, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see the kind of righteousness Jesus wants? He wants our heart. He wants our heart. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And listen to what he says. You've let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to the traditions of men. Listen, anytime we hold on to something religious and our heart isn't in it, oh, I have never missed a quiet time in 27 years. I've been to church. I've never missed a church service. I've... And our hearts aren't in it. We've just let go of our relationship with God and we're holding on to nothing. In the Old Testament, it says that we've, we've, we've rejected living water and we've dug for ourselves broken cisterns that hold no water. It's the same thing. When Jesus was uh, talking, he said, he said, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. He said, this sums up the law and the prophets. This fulfills exactly what this Old Testament was all about. I'm on this side of my Bible. This is the Old Testament. This is the New Testament, just so you know. Uh, it, it sums up the entire Old Testament. This is what does it. I want your heart. So you look at the scribes and Pharisees and go, man, how can I be that righteous? It's easy. Give God your heart. Say, I can't do it anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm a sinner. I, I got nothing. I'm poor in spirit. That's exactly the kind of righteousness God is looking for. And isn't that exciting? <laughs> that it doesn't have to be till we wait until we've got it all figured out. I'm telling you, I have seen people used mightily by God the day after they accepted Christ. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be I've been a Christian for 27 years or whatever. 
You give your life over to Christ, it starts working right away. Here's what Jesus says again to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. He says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. Okay, so when, when, what he's saying is when the Pharisees are teaching from the Old Testament, from this law, you do what they say. Do, do those commands. That's the word of God. And then he goes on and says, But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Man, I'll tell you what, that scares me a little bit. Because as a pastor, you know, sometimes you get into these circles and you forget the fact that there's a broken and lost world out there. And so you, oh, you can talk all this and this is what's happening. This is what our church is doing and blah, 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 blah. And it means nothing. It's ridiculous unless you lift a finger to help people. I want to show a, a quick little video that kind of uh, displays, displays this. You're going to want to turn that up, buddy. Hit the arrow key the other way. Cool. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead and run it again. There we go. What's so wonderful about Jesus coming is he's given us a purpose. He comes to fulfill the law to say, look, this is it. This is relationship. It's always been about relationship. Now there's a new and better way through Christ Jesus. It's not by the blood of goats and of bulls anymore. That's been fulfilled. He reaches. And then he restores us and says, now, come on. Let's practice what the word of God says. Let's do it. And then we respond to the Holy Spirit. We do something. And we don't do it out of obligation. We don't do it because, well, it's a new thing. You know, I read a book and this is really all the rage in Christian circles. You've got to go do whatever. We do it because the Spirit of God moves us. So for you, it may be talking to somebody at work. To, for me, it might be a passion to, to uh, feed the poor. But there's a, there's a sense that that relationship through the restoration process forces us to respond to the move of his spirit. It says in uh, Matthew 23, we went through eight beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. There's eight woes that Jesus gives uh, the Pharisees, and we'll match those up with the beatitudes as we, uh, when we get to Matthew chapter 23. But one I wanted you to see was in uh, verse 23. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. We cannot get stuck on restore. We can't. We have to have all three. We have to respond. We can't just sit and polish the front of our hood all day long until it looks nice and shiny. At some point, we've got to get in and drive. 
And that's the other reason why Jesus came, to give us a purpose. He says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. The word prevail means we're on the attack. It doesn't mean the gates of hell march out. They cannot prevail against, they can't defend against us. When we respond to the move of the Spirit and we do something. Hebrews 10, 19. Did I put that one up there? Yeah. It's kind of a long section of scripture, but check this out. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great uh, priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You want to be more righteous than the Pharisees and the scribes? It's done. It's done. What Christ did on the cross, if, if, if you are mired in sin and that is your acceptance, and you say, look, I can't do it on my own. What Christ did on the cross, you've just become more righteous than the Pharisees. You can draw near with confidence to God. And begin that wonderful restoration process of following the scriptures and watching your life change to the way it was intended to be as Jesus modeled. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It's Jesus. That's why he came. And then... uh, Galatians 2 21 I don't know if I yeah I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died needlessly I want to end with this all what this comes down to the beatitudes and being salt to the earth and this idea that Christ just giving us the reason why he came answering our Christmas question it's to live a life with 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 kingdom impact It's to live a life that isn't just focused on ourselves, a life we were designed to live, a life that uh, has relationship with God. We've been reached, we accept it, and we begin this restoration process, and then we respond, and we have kingdom impact. That as we live this life of God, we're actually doing damage for the kingdom of God. That's why Christ came. We are in love.